XV Planus is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. <laughs> Welcome to XV Planus. <laughs> Greetings, friends and fiends, and welcome back to XV Planus. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> uh, the podcast where we don't just talk about the paranormal, we put boots on the ground and pursue it in the field. Transmitting from the Black Lodge, as always, I am your host, Flood, and as always, I am very excited to be back here on the mic to dive further into the unknown, the enigmatic, and the just plain weird with you all. We're going to be taking a break from the field investigations tonight because we have officially kicked off spooky season. And that means that it is once again time for the annual Green Mushroom Project spooky season kickoff, the spookier side of the shroom, where several creators of the green mushroom come together to share tales of the spooky, the strange, and the unexplained. Tonight I am joined by Luxa of the Luxa Cult Podcast, as well as the entire Unearthing Paranormalcy family of Dave, Amy, and Chad to swap stories of hitchhiking ghosts, haunted bridges, and the Stakini. As well as numerous tangents ranging from lab-grown meats to UFOs. We've got a lot of ridiculousness to get to tonight, so without further shenanigans, let's get to it. Be sure to stick around after the roundtable of Spooky Spaghetti for any announcements. All right, folks, I am very excited to bring everybody back for the second annual Spookier Side of the Mushroom. I guess we should call this uh, Spookier Side to Electric Spookaloo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was bad. But you know what? I'm going to take it's it. It's really bad. I'm going to own mean, it. <laughs> I love that. I love that for us. I think that we're off to a a very bad, which is a very good start. I well, well, then I am simultaneously excited and disappointed to be sharing this with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got a we got a roster that's a little bit different this year. I'm Flood from XV Planus. We got the whole gang from Unearthing Paranormalcy this year. We got Amy, Dave, and Chad. Hey, we got Chad. We missed. I you last made year, it this time. <laughs> Yay! Fuck yeah! And we're also lucky enough to have the one who actually brought us all together with us. I think that was a group effort, but uh, yeah, this is Lux Estrada of the Lux Occult Podcast. Well, this is uh, this is going to be a who traditionally, uh, you know, this is obviously going to become an, an annual thing. Uh, it's it's way too fun to not do this. So we've all decided to handpick some spooky, strange and odd stories from our various places where we live. And uh, today, rather than actually having a structure, Luxa threw out the idea of like, maybe we should roll dice to figure out who goes first. And I kind of like that idea. Absolutely. So we're going to be putting a D20 in our mouths and rolling in a shit. Are you all ready? I am ready. All right. I rolled a three. I got a 16. I got a 19. All right. Amy's like... roll counts for us. So. Right. <laughs> it looks like Flood is uh, going to be the lucky first uh, talker. Wow. Put me on the spot. God. All right. Well, so I, you know, last year when we decided to do this, we we all decided to pick stuff close to home. Um, but as most of you all know, I recently moved back home and I'm actually doing a lot of research now. So I don't really want to spoil any of that. So I decided to scale it back a little bit. And um, this year I want to turn my eye back to North Carolina, where I've lived for the last several years up until recently. 
And Dave, when we first started talking about doing this second volume of our fettuccine Alfredo here, or spooky spaghetti, or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you uh, you suggested bonus points for hitchhiking ghosts and crybaby bridges, and I kind of have one that hits a double whammy. Oh yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. This place is called Lydia's Bridge in Jamestown, North Carolina. And it is said that the spirit of a young woman haunts the underpasses of two bridges in this small town. One is a railroad bridge over East Main Street, currently in use, and the other is an abandoned underpass that may be the site of a fatal car accident decades ago. And the spirit, commonly referred to by the locals as Lydia, has been seen on rainy nights walking alone or standing beside the road, searching for help to get back home. And the legend of Lydia is based on sightings and stories, some nearly a century old, of a young woman in white as she stands by the road, attempting to flag down passing motorists for help. The ghost is believed to be that of a young woman who died tragically at the bridge many, many years ago. And the stories that have grown around the alleged sightings share a common detail of a fatal car accident that occurred as a boy and girl drove to a school dance on a rainy night. And ever since that accident, the distressed, sometimes crying spirit of the girl, still wearing her formal dress, returns to the scene seeking help. The local lore tells of the first sighting of Lydia around 1924. A man named Burke Hardison told a story of his encounter with a young woman as he traveled home to High Point on a rainy and foggy night when he was a student at NC State University. Hardison claimed to see a girl dressed in a white gown and she signaled for him to stop and asked him to help her get to High Point. He drove her home, and when he went to get out of the car and open the car door for her, she had vanished into thin air. He knocked on the door of the house, asked if the girl was there, only to learn from the mother that she had been killed in an accident a few years earlier. Similar occurrences have taken place over the decades, with the most recent sighting documented in 2008 when a young man who had recently moved into Jamestown for college saw the fabled phantom in white walking along the road near the bridge, which is right around the corner from the university. Thinking of her as a fellow student, and being one of the few in his own class lucky enough to have a car at that time, he offered her a ride to her destination. And, as with almost every encounter, the young man returned to the address so many had before, only to find that his passenger had mysteriously gone missing. This young man did not take the experience very well, and after discovering that dozens of people had had similar encounters, immediately packed up his belongings and returned home to Charlotte. Now, as far as the truth behind all of this goes, there have been many attempts to match records and evidence with a real person named Lydia, but none have turned up any conclusive proof of a young woman by that name who may have died in an automobile accident in the area during the 1920s. However, in recent times, Two North Carolinian researchers who have been chasing the Lydia legend for many years, Amy Greer and Michael Renegar, came upon an article in the Greensboro Patriot from June 21, 1920, that reported the death of a young woman named Annie Jackson who had been killed on the High Point Road, about three miles from High Point and close to the location of both bridges. In the account, when the driver lost control of the vehicle, Annie was thrown from the car. The article noted that the road was wet and the car had rolled several times in the accident. This could possibly be the origin of one of the longest-running hitchhiking ghosts of all time. And the name, Lydia? Well, it turns out that Annie Jackson's middle initial was L. And we're not sure if it's actually Lydia, 
but that's pretty compelling nonetheless. Now, I actually had the opportunity to investigate this location myself, and if you listen to my show, this is where I picked up the now infamous Help Sally EVP, which essentially turned me into an obsessed paranormal investigator. And during that trip, I also managed to track down a few locals who've experienced the same thing, almost verbatim, every single time. Distressed woman in white, rainy or foggy night, asks for a ride home to the same house every time, mind you, before vanishing upon their arrival at the address. <laughs> That's probably actually one of the best like, hitchhiking ghost stories that I've heard. Yeah, uh, I loved that. Good delivery, it, too. Very thank good. you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I uh, I got a thing for hitchhiking ghosts, so I love when you brought that one up, uh, Dave, because like one of my personal favorite stories is a Resurrection Mary, and obviously that's the most well-known hitchhiking ghost. But I find this one fascinating because we're now actually coming up on a whole century of reported sightings of this. Oh, that's very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hitchhiking ghosts, ladies in white, too. That's a really common trope. Cry baby bridges. Those ladies in whites, we've talked about this before, how this could have come over from Ireland, because and there they called them banshees. Mm-hmm. Quite possibly, especially like the whaling aspect of it. Yeah. I, yeah. I got to tell you, I, I can't wait to go back to North Carolina because I would love to to do like an extended investigation on this, uh, especially during the spring when it is constantly, you know, raining and foggy. So I don't know. There there might be a little bit, an, a bit of an epilogue to this story uh, here in the next year or so. We'll see. Oh, I look forward to it. Me too. Awesome. Well, it looks like unearthing paranormal sea crew is going to be going next. Woo-hoo. And y'all got a few for us, don't you? Two different stories. That's right. Okay. First, we're going to tell you about the Sooner Theater. The Sooner Theater was built in 1929 after the town of Norman, Oklahoma's first hotel, the Planters Hotel, was demolished on the site. It was designed by Harold Yumeno. Son of Patricio Hermeno, a Peruvian artist who had spent his life studying in Spain before being invited to the University of Oklahoma as a professor of art in 1911. The building is a Spanish colonial style and was built for around $200,000. This budget included imported mosaics and Italian marble. Patricio Hermeno hand-painted the 252 Spanish coats of arms that still adorn the ceiling. A lounge for ladies on the mezzanine was laid out to accommodate those that needed a break from boisterous productions. And there was a soundproof cry room for babies tucked under the balcony in the back. For years, patrons could pay a quarter or a dime for the kids and watch the last days of vaudeville and the golden age of Hollywood on the screen. By the 1970s, larger multiplexes were outselling it, so it focused instead on live performances and B-movies. The last movie to be shown there was Attack of the Amazons in 1975. Fire occurred shortly after this, and the city of Norman brought the building to demolish it. Concerned Normanites joined together to form a non-profit to save the theater and rent it from the city. Nowadays, the theater has 15,000 attendees a year for concerts and stage play productions. 
This theater is also home of a lady in white. She is most often seen on the east stairs descending them with poise and grace. Others have seen her on the balcony in a white ball gown. But on the balcony, she is somber, often staring into nothingness. Some have also claimed to have heard her weeping. As for who she could be, that's entirely wrapped up in legend. And that legend is different depending on who is telling the tale. I personally heard she was a woman that was killed back when the place was the Planters Hotel. Now this place I have been to so many times in my life because I did dance growing up and I did all kinds of plays and things like that. So I was, I've been everywhere in the theater. Um, I've never seen this lady in white, but I know from personal experience that backstage of the theater and down in the dressing rooms, which is underneath the stage, it's very eerie. And even if you're with a big group of people, you still get that eerie feeling that hair standing up on the back of your neck, like somebody's right behind you the whole time. And now it's not a very big space. So if there are people there, there is probably somebody right behind you. But if you're down there by yourself, you get the same feelings up in the balcony. You, you feel like you're being watched a little bit. It's a, it's an amazing theater for just like the architecture and the the design inside, but it definitely has that spook feel when you are there. Sounds spooky. Very cool. So my question is, do they offer paranormal investigations there? Because I'm on my way if, if, if there is. <laughs> they don't. Not many places here will embrace their paranormal. It's part of a ghost tour that we did go on. Um, but you don't go into the theater. You just get to kind of walk past it. And like tour guide tells you about the lady in white and the stories. Um, but it's, there's not much. I don't think I've ever heard of anybody that's gotten to investigate the theater. Yeah. I say what the more Lindsay house right over by the theater. I think they did their first ghost hunt last month. Yes. And we had to miss it. And I'm kind of, yeah. <laughs> Well, hopefully uh, the the way that things seem to be going, uh, like pretty much worldwide, is a lot more people are starting to embrace uh, the paranormal and the unexplained. So I don't know, I, like with a little bit of luck, maybe in the next few years, we'll start to see more and more places open up to uh, offer people the opportunity to get into it. You know? Well, I mean, honestly, it's great for making money. Oh, you know? yeah. So many people are willing to go to haunted places solely because they are haunted places. Yeah, yeah tourism is great. Ghost tourism, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're doing quite a bit of that uh, here over the spooky season ourselves. I finally convinced some of the the local town to let me get into the spooky places, and I might make you some money. And they said, okay. See that that's the thing. It's like, hey, let me do this, and I will make you money. And then they're like, oh, I remember money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, you know, drumming up interest in the place and everything. So, yeah. Absolutely. That's a great one. I can't, um, I was, man, I, I'm going to have to check that out. It's it's a really cool theater on its own. But Yeah, it's really nice. Place. Yeah. Let's be sure to uh, to get some links for everybody who um, who's listening so that we can add those to the show notes and, and everybody can get a visual of the things that we're talking about. Totally. We will do that. 
Now, do you want us to go on and do our next story or do Alexa, you want to tell one and then we can come back with ours or what do you want to do? Well, I'm going to tell one. I actually have two things to share. So maybe I should do the first one and then you guys can do the other one. Sweet. Okay. Fuck yeah. This first one is just a short one. And I do want to say that there is a trigger warning in here. Um, The topic of self-harm in a major way comes up. So if that's not something that uh, sounds fun, skip ahead about, I don't know, 45 seconds. It's not a long story. (laughs) Thank you for the warning. Of course. Yes. All right. So for those who are still here, um, so this this is about a um a pretty famous haunted bridge here. I should say too that this is from FloridaHauntedHouses.com. So thank you to Florida Haunted Houses for this little snippet. The beautiful Sunshine Skyway Bridge is the most iconic bridge in Florida, but it's also deadly. It replaced a bridge that partially collapsed in 1980, killing several people but it's best known as one of the most popular places in Florida to commit suicide. Since it was built, more than 200 people have jumped to their deaths from the bridge. It is believed that at least one of them lingers in the area. She is a young female with blonde hair who is said to climb into your car on one end of the bridge and will vanish before you reach the other side. And there is a note here. Um, please note it is illegal to stop anywhere on the Sunshine Skyway Bridge. Police will approach you if you do so. So uh, don't do that. <laughs> Cheers. Duly noted. And I have been there. <laughs> all right. All right. I, I don't. Um, it's not popping up in my mind. What was it like? Um, uh, you know what? Yet again, I will add photos to uh, to this so that people can see what we're talking about. So the Sunshine uh, Skyway Bridge, you know, obviously that's no more. What replaced it is just yet another one of these high bridges that goes over the water that you find pretty much anywhere in the Tampa area. But whenever I did that uh, that spooky trip to Florida just this last January, Jill and I went out there to check the place out, and she gave me a little bit more insight to the place. Okay. Whenever the bridge collapsed, one of the biggest tragedies was that there was a uh, a tour bus. Uh, and I'm not sure if it was, it may have been a city bus or it was a tour bus, but it was chock full of people of all ages. And, and when this bridge collapsed, the bus goes down with it. Nobody survived. Everybody, pretty much anybody on that bridge that day, they were, they perished. There were very few survivors who dropped that, uh, that made it out. But one of the pieces of folklore there is apparently even up until this day you can be out there where the sunshine skyway bridge used to be or at least the portion of it that's still there and on occasion people have reported seeing a translucent bus driving through and everybody inside pressed against the windows screaming oh wow yikes scary (laughs) Zoinks! Zoinks! <laughs> like G Scoob. Um, but that gets right, even more like... interesting. So, so we went down there to run some experiments and and just kind of get a feel for the place. Now, unfortunately, you can't go out onto the road itself, but there are um, there's a, a fisherman's pier that's kind of attached to the side of the road, and that actually is part of the old uh, or the baseline for the Sunshine Skyway Bridge, and. As you said, Luxa, like a lot of people choose to meet their fate uh, around this area. And on top of that, it's also become like kind of a hot spot for random acts of violence 
So it just seems like the whole area is just... Seems like a bad place. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty thick. And it was it was thick enough, like, we just went there for a total of 45 minutes. She brought me there to, to walk me around and just ask me if I was picking up on anything. So as we're sitting there standing on the pier, and I'm just kind of soaking everything in, and honestly, I'm just being distracted by the birds and the water and, and the fresh air. But I, eventually, I just kind of let myself reach out a little bit, and then I, I felt drawn to this awning where there were a couple of picnic tables. And I went directly into this space, and then I stood there for a second, and I just, I don't know how to describe it, but it was, uh, the air started to smell stale, um, not like the fresh air that was, you know, blowing everywhere else. And then my eyes were, for some reason, drawn immediately to my left and up a little bit, and what do you know? I see a very, very well-defined hole. And after I'm sitting there looking at it, I look around and I see a couple of more. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure those are bullet holes. And so we did a little cursory research there on the bridge. And not five months earlier, some sort of bizarre gang fight broke out. And the exact place that I was standing is where the victim was shot. Crazy. So that was a new one. So, yeah, I would say that whole stretch is um, that's like a highway to hell scenario, I think. All right. Well, cheers. Stay away from that place if anybody's around. <laughs> yeah, great for Unless fishing. Unless you want to go do some uh, uh, investigation or say, fishing. Now I just want to go. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I <laughs> know. I'm the same way. Like, I would love to go there. The thing is, it's like great for fishing, great for sightseeing. Just don't go there at night. Apparently, it's very bad. Yeah, it sounds dangerous. So <laughs> just saying. I mean, not just even for ghosts, just for, you know, other reasons. So yeah. The ghost is probably the safest thing. I mean, yeah. for the living that you got to watch out for. Yeah. yeah, but I'm over here kind of like when it comes to the paranormal, I'm just like dark winged duck, you know. Let's <laughs> get dangerous. Oh, man. I feel like there's a T-shirt in there somewhere for XP Plenis. I love that. <laughs> oh, no, the, the first shirt. dangerous. I'm actually going to have these first shirts printed out here in uh, in the next couple of months. Really, really simple. It's just going to be the logo, the name, and on the back it just says Ghost Bait. All right. <laughs> That's very fun. I love it. Well, that was a fantastic one. Like, so thank you for bringing that one up because it's um, I find that place to be fascinating and would love to do like a much deeper dive into it somewhere in the future. Yeah, and thanks for sharing your experiences and insight there. This was kind of a little... I wanted to get the bonus points, right, for the, the bridge or whatever. <laughs> so you, uh, you brought a lot more to it. So did I get the bonus points, Dave? Okay, good, excellent. So I guess we'll uh, throw the skull back to the the Unearthing Paranormalcy crew. Yeah, I'm excited about this, and we were chatting a little bit before we started recording. and Which we have no idea what in the hell this thing is, but I can't wait to find out. Yeah, I had ideas, like, just based on the, like, way that the word sounds, but yes, I can't wait to hear more. Well, this story is going to tie together Oklahoma and Florida. All right, all right. Native American (laughs) legend. Cool. And it is the Stakini. It appears that the Stakini, or the Owl Woman legends, began in the Everglades of Florida with the Seminole tribe. When the tribe was forced from Florida to relocate to Oklahoma during the Trail of Tears, the stories relocated with them. Now, since the Seminole weren't the only tribes relocated in Oklahoma, This is the point that the legend seems to spread throughout most of what was called the five civilized tribes, which consisted of the Cherokee, the Chickasaw, 
the Choctaw, the Creek or Muscogee, and the Seminole. Each tribe has their own variation and name for this humanoid owl, but the basics are pretty much the same. In most legends, they are considered a vampiric witch that can shapeshift. In most legends, they can shift to any animal, but prefer that of the nine-foot great horned owl. Now, if you've never seen a great horned owl, you need to look them up. I'm not a very big bird fan, but these are some of the most beautiful creatures, and they are massive birds of prey. You would never know if someone you knew was a stakini, for when they are in their human form, they are pleasant, friendly people. It isn't until night, when everyone is asleep in bed, that they slip out to the woods and shift into their owl form. In order to shift to their owl form, they must regurgitate their organs. They then hang them from a tree or hide them in order to keep other nocturnal animals from eating them. Fun fact, owls are known to regurgitate their prey when they are done with them. At this point in the legend, it starts to change based on what tribe. But for the most part, it seems that they go and eat the hearts of sleeping humans. In some stories, they then take the form of the person that they ate. Some, they just eat until they're full. And in some stories, it seems to be the story of revenge. The Apache tribe has what they call Big Al. Big Al is a malicious and dangerous giant often used as a boogeyman in children's stories. Big Al is sometimes described a man-eating ogre and the other a horned owl large enough to carry off a child. Also in the legends, to hear the cry of a stakini or owl man is an omen of death. Interesting enough, when I was writing this, my daughter was watching a show back in her room and there was an owl on the show and I was sitting on the couch writing this out and I heard a cow, an owl hoot and I'm not going to lie, part of me got a little bit scared. It's also said that if you speak their name, that too can attract the stakini to you. Now that I've said the name a few hundred times in the past few days, I may just be screwed. There is a way to kill and destroy the stakini. A person can find and destroy the organs of the stakini, then it will die. Some say you must sprinkle them with sacred salt. Sunlight may prove fatal to a stakini who has not turned back into a human shape. Stakinis themselves may be killed by arrows or other weapons that have been ritually prepared and dressed with sacred herbs. There are reports of stakinis in the Everglades of Florida. And this could be due to the fact that the U.S. government was not able to relocate all of the Seminoles to Oklahoma because some of them were able to hide in the forests of the Everglades and avoid capture. There also seem to be reports of the stakini in Oklahoma, especially in what is now called Seminole County and around the town of Sasaquah. There was also a report of a stakini living in an abandoned house in Shawnee. All of these places are about 30 minutes east of where we are sitting right now. And I brought some stories of the stakini for you. Through the first Seminole War, a small group of elderly Seminole women were allowed to remain in their homes north of Fort Brooke 
on the Hillsborough River. In 1835, the United States moved forward with plans to relocate all of the Seminole west of the Mississippi. When given this news, these women were angered, refused to move, and threatened that Fort Brook would be forever cursed. Soon thereafter, 110 soldiers left Fort Brook, moving northward. The first morning at camp, a young soldier was found dead in his bed. An investigation concluded that the man's heart had been removed. This same scenario happened night after night. And as the fear of the Seminole women's curse grew stronger, soldier Joseph Sprague abandoned his post and fled through the forest at dusk. He saw a group of Seminole women whom had cursed the soldiers. He watched in horror as they kneeled, chanting and expelling their internal organs from their mouth. One by one, they took the form of an owl and took off into the night. They were the Stakini witches of Seminole legend coming to exact their revenge. Sprague hurried the news to Fort Brook, but by the time reinforcements arrived, all 109 other soldiers lay dead in their beds with their hearts removed. The group of elderly Seminole were never seen again, but will always be remembered in this story of the Dade Massacre. And some of this story is actually true. Joseph Sprague was, in fact, one of three survivors. Along with Private Joseph Sprague, there were Private Edward DeCursey and Private Ransom Clark. There were, in fact, 110 soldiers from Fort Brook, and they were slaughtered by the Seminole. That's where the accounts seem to start going on different paths entirely. According to Private Clark, the soldiers were, who were on a resupply mission were ambushed by a group of Seminole warriors. The Seminole warriors took out 50 soldiers on their initial ambush and then picked off the others one by one, not leaving until everyone was dead or dying. Now Privates Discorsi and Clark hid among the bodies, and reports say that Clark looked as though he was dead, suffering several wounds and bleeding from the head. As for Private Sprague, the most that I could find was that he was in the swamp nearby. So could he have seen a group of Sakini women? Maybe, but there's no official record of that. On the way back to Fort Brook, the three were again attacked by the Seminole, and they split us to try to make it harder for them to be caught. Private Edward DeCursey was caught and killed, both Clark and Sprague made it back to Fort Brook. The only report I seem to be able to find about the attack is from Clark. And the little bit I did find on Sprague was that he stayed in the army, but was illiterate and there was not a written report by him. I don't quite understand why no one would have dictated it for him. But then again, I don't know much about 1835 U.S. military protocol. This also would be the battle that led to what is often referred to as the Second Seminole War, which led to the removal of hundreds of Seminoles to Oklahoma and the death of 1,500 U.S. soldiers. 
that is metal as fuck yeah that's a wild story for sure yeah the the part about the organs thing is definitely very metal <laughs> oh yeah no, i'm sorry as soon as you hit that i was like this is a great norwegian black metal album cover i was yes. thinking about that too oh, I was like as soon as you're like and they regurgitate their organs and hang them in a tree and i was like fucking metal <laughs> yeah dude yeah very cool all right that is a that is a fantastic story. Like the the lore of the uh, the the you know the creature or the the phenomena itself is is phenomenal. But that is that is a great little that's that's a great book and and um, you know yet again complete and total disregard for um, personal safety. Tell me where it all happened. I'll go and track this thing down. <laughs> <laughs> well, Seminole and- County is what two counties east of us. It's about a 30-minute drive to Shawnee. Yeah. And, and if you're ever in the woods there at night and come upon organs dangling above you, it's best to leave them alone and run very, very far away. <laughs> no, I'm probably going to use them to make sausage, to be honest. <laughs> well, and also right in that same area, there's reports of uh, a dog man. So you could hit the Stakini and dog man all up in one trip because they're all in that same area. I, I love that you bring that. Is it just me or is it there a massive boom right now in Dogman? Like whether it's focus on it or new updates like like current sightings, there seems to be a Dogman boom happening right now. I'm noticing Dogman and also Skinwalkers disguising as pet dogs. And yeah, I've been <laughs> wait, what? Is, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been seeing the okay. Skinwalkers one. Have you seen the? video of the lady's little like poodle i don't know if i actually just saw it today links the lady and lady in florida had this dog it looked just like her dog come up to her back door and wanted in and she wouldn't let it in and she was like i know how to tell if it's my dog and was like sit spin around lay down and it just followed the commands perfectly and she goes i know you're not my dog and then close like close the blinds and wouldn't let the dog in Wait, her, wait, just real quick. Was her dog outside and she wouldn't let her own dog in because it was like behaving too? I just, <laughs> yes. I want to make sure yeah, I'm understanding that's what this it story seems right. Like, yes, but because yeah, it was a skinwalker. Like, yeah, she believed it was a skinwalker because it was like growling and trying to bite her through the window. And then she was like, There's, I hope I that dog is okay. Yeah, <laughs> right? I don't know. It, just, <laughs> it was a crazy little video that just popped up on my Facebook today or TikTok video that was on Facebook, but. Uh, you got to send a link. Skinwalkers through uh, uh, Florida right now. I mean, animals can uh, act out when they're hurt or injured, you know, ill or yeah. something, too. I mean, just saying, like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if right. she ever let him in or not. I just feel like it just showed that part of the video. And she's just like, oh, hell no, that ain't my dog. <laughs> I mean, what, what? Okay, so one, what part of Florida and two were bath salts involved? <laughs> and also, like, I Florida, wonder. To, so probably, I sometimes wonder to what extent people are like cynically like trying to go viral or whatever. Too right, like if you're filming yourself doing this shit, it's one thing if somebody else is filming you like flipping your shit, like being like that dude on this airplane isn't fucking real. Like yeah. that's one thing. <laughs> but if you're filming yeah. yourself doing that, I almost feel like there's there could be a little bit of cynicism in there for folks. I don't know. I mean. I mean, everything on TikTok is real, right? 
So. No, I, I uh, <laughs> unclear. I don't. No, we're we're, we're it, not so we're not going to go down this rabbit hole, or I will start screaming and foaming at the mouth. No, I just um, as a paranormal investigator, I'll, I'll I will just say this and this alone: if it's hashtag paranormal and it's on TikTok, it's bullshit and it infuriates me. And and <laughs> until the XV Planet TikTok channel comes on, I no 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 no. We tried that. I, I tried. Like, I signed up, I opened an account, and then I fuck around with TikTok for maybe three days, and I'm like, nope. Mm-mm. No, absolutely uh, yeah, not. I, I haven't gotten there yet, and I don't know if I ever will. Didn't download it for the longest time, and then I finally did because my friend posts videos on there, and so I wanted to help him get views. But that was the only time I ever used that app. Delete the app and just, view, <laughs> just view it through, a, you can view it anonymously through a browser. And it'll still um, bump up the views. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just don't right, put okay. your info out there, is all I'm saying. But <laughs> don't feed yourself to the algorithms unless you have to. Yeah. Um, that was a good one. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you all. The Stakini is one, actually one of the very first episodes we did was on Stakini. If you say it one more time, I swear to God. <laughs> Stakini. <laughs> Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. Ah! <laughs> well, I, I promise you, after we get off of this, I'm going to go stare in the mirror and probably say Stinkini like um, uh, 100, 150 times. <laughs> you know, so if uh, if it really does follow that, that horror trope, don't worry. I'm going to up the ante tonight because I need some excitement down here. Things are boring. There you go. Well, I guess the ball's back to you, Luxa. Uh, excuse me, the skull is back to you, Luxa. <laughs> all right, fantastic. Well, so I'm going to share with you all um, a hometown haunts story from Orlando here. Um, this is by Amanda M. Branham from the fall 2015 edition of Reflections magazine. All right, so this is about a potter's field. It's not just old buildings that have ghost stories attached to them. Bricks and mortar aren't the precursors for hauntings. Orange Hill Cemetery, long the inspiration for ghostly stories, today resembles a vacant field more than a final resting place. Trees and shrubber- <laughs> shrubbery, <laughs> excuse me, a shrubbery. Another uh, shrubbery! <laughs> Bring me another shrubbery! <laughs> a several shrubbery are scattered in clusters around the grassy burial plot that from 1907 to 1961 was used as a potter's field, a pauper cemetery, for about 500 families who could not afford burial for their relatives. Of those 500 graves, only five plots have markers. Those have been dated in the early 1940s. Without much to signify its use as a burial ground for decades, the cemetery was forgotten and some people used the patch of grassy land um, at Michigan and Fern Creek Avenue as a park. Then, more than 30 years after the last burial at Orange Hill, county officials discovered its original use using a survey of old county property. In 1996, the county put up a sign at the property that identified it as Orange Hill Cemetery. But even before the grassy land was identified as a former cemetery, stories circulated about the place being haunted. One tale involves a shadowy figure who's been spotted at Orange Hill from time to time, watching, 
waiting, seething. More than one person said they never felt quite right walking through Orange Hill. It felt as though someone was glaring at them from just out of sight. Perhaps some stories speculated, even though the county eventually put up a stone marker and planted greenery to pay respect to the dead, for some spirits, that was not enough. Tales of whispers filtering through the air, or the sounds of something scrabbling in the grass could be chalked up to over-imaginations. I mean, or lizards in the scrabbling case. Um, or had it really happened, uh, the, the author speculates, had something actually reached up and grabbed someone's calf hard enough to cause a bruise? Or is all this just scary fiction? Uh, interesting to consider. Thank you, Miranda and Branham. It sounds to me like some very interesting phenomena. Phenomena. I had hoped to go and check this place out before recording, but unfortunately I did not have the time to do the kind of like on the boots paranormal investigation that Flood likes to get into. <laughs> but perhaps I could do so do it soon. Well, hey, if 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 you do decide to do that, um you have Jill's contact info. I mean, she will more than happy come and join you, and she's got like decades of experience beyond me. That would be dope. Yeah, we could do like a little picnic. I think there's some cool metaphysical shops over there too that we might be able to hit up if she's into it. So yeah, oh okay. no, you're you're definitely speaking her language. Yeah, you two need to talk. We'll we'll, we'll get into that after the show. <laughs> okay, hell yeah. So that really reminds me of here in Norman. We have an area in town that when I was in high school was like a Johnny's Char Burger, like burger joint. But when they were constructing johnny's they realized that the area was was an unmarked grave site from back when norman first started spreading out and there were stories from workers at johnny's of like the freezer door opening and closing or customers walking up to the counter and then disappearing and stuff like that and now it's a dutch brothers coffee but it's kind of what it reminded me of you know yeah. when i was growing up it was like a tune-up shop and the mechanics there always said that there was there was that stuff that would move their tools around and like throw things and yeah. And the city finally put up a plaque and moved the bodies that they found. But yeah, supposedly when they were doing construction, they actually found one of the graves. Yeah, I know that's a lot more common in other places, like where there's a lot more you know history of dense populations that have been there for like a long time. I guess in places in Europe, it's not uncommon to you know find like pieces of bones and you know, the walls and stuff because of the way that stuff was dug up to make the bricks. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting to think about. I think in they found a whole like almost underground, a whole like city when they were constructing an apartment building in Greece recently or something like oh, that. Wow. Interesting. Interesting enough, I'm actually going to school currently for a funeral directing. And I just took a class over the history of cemeteries and all that. And, uh, in fact, in a lot of countries in Europe nowadays, you don't even buy grave sites. You rent them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, five years if you're not involved, 20 years if you are involved. And then they just take everybody out and throw them all in a big mass grave at the end of it. Do you remember back when the firefighters got that new, uh, it was like a seismograph or something like that? Yeah. And they used it to find all the bodies of the inmates that burn up in that fire? Yes. Uh, that was another thing that happened here is we have a mental hospital and there was a fire that killed 
couple hundred patients in the hospital and they threw him in a big mass grave and forgot. It wasn't, where it, was. yeah, so it wasn't until like what the eighties or nineties that they ended up finding it. No, it was, it was recently. The fire department got new ground penetrating uh, radar and they wanted to test it out. And so they went to the places that they thought that the bodies were and they eventually ended up finding them. But yeah, it was just, they forgot where they buried the bodies for about 30 years. That's really interesting. Mm. So I'm a little bit curious, like, as you're studying to become a funeral director, has there been anything that you've learned that really surprised you about the business? Uh, not so much yet. I mean, not that I didn't really already kind of know. I personally, it, when I become a funeral director... I think I want to work in a place that does more green burials than anything. Hmm. Um, but that's just something that's becoming popular again is the green burial. So, yeah, fuck yeah. I think that that stuff is really cool. I think um, some of the ways that we deal with death with all like the embalming and like, I mean, in some cases, it seems like we sort of pretend like it doesn't happen instead of kind of coping with it in a more honest way. And I think that. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of different aspects of that, of course, but even just using all of those chemicals and all of that shit, it's like, do we really, do we really have to do that, everybody? So yeah, that's fucking awesome. And that's one of the reasons why bodies have to be buried in vaults, is it's not so much to protect from the body itself, but the chemicals that are put into the bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I personally, I want to be composted and turned into soil and throw me in a garden. I think a lot of people want that because you hear a lot of people say, I just want to be buried to rot in the ground. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, you're not gonna if you do a modern burial. Yeah. Yeah. I want my guts and my my bones and all that pulled out and put to good use, whether that's in the ground or in a science lab. But uh, I would like my external shell to be taxidermied and uh, placed in a very horrific pose so that all of my friends can use me as a practical (laughs) joke to scare the crap out of everybody so I can continue to haunt everyone long after that. That's oh, similar man, that's to what a, that I, I almost be, as twisted as what I want. <laughs> I want to be taxidermied and sat in the back row at my own funeral with that hat and sunglasses on, and just see how long it takes for people to realize that's me. Mm, <laughs> I'm also not a kind of reward. Into Chad's. Yeah. I'm also not. I'm also not opposed to being turned into chili. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you all have already heard this. I'm not going to expose the listeners. To oh yeah, you know, we'll 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 uh. <laughs> That's a different conversation than if you follow either one of us. Place, yeah. so, yes. <laughs> Do y'all remember when they found that mummified body in like that haunted house? Yeah, of Edgar or Ed, Ed, Edber or Edber. He was he was, he was from our, yeah. yeah, he was from our home state, Guthrie, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was used as a movie prop and like a scare, like a fun house. Uh, Prop. Our haunted house prop. Yeah, they thought he was a dummy, and they found out it was an actual real skeleton. Oh my! Yeah, God. one day like the arm or something fell off of yeah. it. Yeah, it was. It was a mummified corpse, and then yeah, one day the arm fell off, and they were like, "Wait a second, this has actual bones in it." And come to find out that yeah, he had he had died, and in order to basically the, the embalmer embalmed him and set him up as a display in his. <sighs> 
place to show how he could how well he could preserve bodies and then eventually it got misplaced and ended up as a movie prop interesting ah. yeah. So I have a question for all you paranormal folks, and this is just kind of like a, you know, maybe big picture thing and opinion thing, too, because or maybe there is data out there on this. But so there's all these different like there's there's places that we think of that like have reputations for being haunted. The things that come to my mind are places like you know, obviously graveyards, um, but places like hotels, theaters, mm-hmm. hospitals. Um, what do you all think is the most haunted type of building or structure? The ones that people want to be haunted. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I think I agree nice. with you there. <laughs> I would say hospitals, in my opinion, or like uh, old asylum, like uh, insane asylums and stuff like that. Things where, with with history, like a long, long-standing uh, hospital or something like that. Something where a lot of bad energy or maybe not some of the greatest things of humankind was done to the people there. Uh, yeah, that makes cause sense. I think every state, almost probably every any town has has had an old uh, sane asylum or an old hospital that's closed down has been haunted. And trust me, anytime I go to a new hospital, I can still feel the people around me. I think especially with the older, like, you know, mental health facilities and stuff, right? Like, uh, you know, there was, there's probably a little bit of like a, I don't know, there's, there's a sort of existential fear there for me, at least, because a lot of the people that were sent to these places didn't actually sometimes have mental health issues. Like sometimes they were sent there because they were inconvenient or, you know, other things that like we would say nowadays wouldn't be like a necessary for inpatient care right we've covered a bunch of them on our stuff and there is one that we even posted on i think our facebook and instagram a picture of the list of things you could be admitted for and one of them was literally just being a woman yeah right and so i think that for me that there's like that existential dread there where it's like you know and this is a great, you know, the the great movie, like one flew over a cuckoo's, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Oh, such explores a good movie, this, right? Like, you know, about like what's the difference between the people inside and outside, and like, it's all about you know staying on the right side of that authority, I suppose, right? So, yeah, that's scary. <laughs> but as far as your question goes, like, if there's like a a trope of a certain type of place that's you know most haunted or whatever, um. I mean, you could say you could say asylums, you could say hospitals, you could say um, you know a variety of things, but I think the simplest explanation for it is it's places where there is density in human interaction or population. So hotels, uh, theaters, hospitals, asylums, jails. These are places where thousands and thousands of people cycled through decades and decades. And that's going to leave like kind of like a psychical or, a, or um, an energy type of imprint. There's there's <laughs> the uh, the paranormal carbon footprint. I don't know. It's uh, and maybe there's something to like stone tape theory on all this. But yeah, I, I think it has theory. less. I th- think it has less Sorry. to do with the locations and more to do with the. Um, the intersections of consciousness, I think. 
Okay. Hell yeah. That no, that's super interesting. Just real quick, what what is stone tape theory? Uh very similar to, to Akashic Records, but it's more in a physical space. Like so oh, okay. if a uh, stone record theory is like you have, say, Waverly Hills. Waverly Hills is a prime example where I see stone tape theory happen. Enough happen there that it's kind of imprinted into the physical space as well as the ethereal. So okay. like there's there's a density there and um um and I think history kind of gets recorded. So much so in fact that it, like if you were to take a piece like a piece of a brick or you know I've taken stuff from uh Sally House and from Waverly not like stolen but you know small things like dirt, water, things like that. And um activity will follow. So Maybe there is something to uh, some sort of uh, trans-dimensional historic imprint on a physical location. I don't know. The further down this rabbit hole I go, the, the, the more I know, the less I understand. Seems to be the way all of this goes with really researching into uh, to the field research of paranormal. It's ah, maddening. That tracks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I've heard a lot of folks talking about like this idea of things like piezoelectric materials like quartz crystals and things like that like being able to like store intentions or thoughts or other types of information and so like i'm listening to what you're saying here and like thinking about these materials and everything and you know stuff like clay and everything is made of silicates it's kind of a similar you know at least chemical components that are involved there it's a different structure but the same kind of stuff at least in some cases Um, and so yeah i wonder just uh, from that kind of perspective, there's all kinds of fun things to think about it there as well. Yeah, well, actually, I I love the way that you put that because here's the thing: the, like stone tape theory is when it happens like automatically, just as a natural course of of interaction or trauma or whatever that happens in a specific location. But what happens when you take somebody who can actually focus themselves to imprint things onto that? Maybe there is something to that. Maybe some materials can be used as kind of um. Um, psychic records, you know. Well, what about a I, church? Isn't a church? Doesn't a church kind of do that in some cases? Like, in, like the way that it's built and the way, like, there's kind of like this thought about the architecture and like what will it will accomplish for its use in terms of this, like, kind of like esoteric energy channeling and stuff like that. So there, there's some, and churches, of course, are classically yeah, I think haunted as well so that, I've that never been in a church that wasn't haunted yeah. <laughs> so. yeah there was a very interesting story I heard um it was a while ago it was these investigators they were doing an investigation inside some caverns under an old house right and one night they're just setting up and they're just goofing around and they're like hey let's scare whoever let's scare Wendy or whoever and then they like kind of jump out from the shadows and they're like "Ooh, boogity boo you know and and the very next night, they caught a residual, what's called a residual spirit, doing that exact same thing as if what they did imprinted on this place and replayed the very next day. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So they had like an echo of themselves doing it? Sort yeah. Of? Interesting. Yeah. Huh. I'm beginning to think that some of these haunted locations might be a little less about being haunted like what what if we're actually evolving like our our consciousness is now evolving to start seeing more of reality which we already know that we can't see the full extent of just based on our visible light spectrum what if we're now starting to see that things are um 
not so linear in time as we thought. Yeah. Yeah. What if we're actually starting to unanchor ourselves from that concept? And and because of that, is this why we're starting to see more paranormal, um, well, activity, but also people taking a deep interest in this in the last few years? Is it because we're evolving? Are we all starting to see and experience a little bit more, whether that's through magical practices or going out and, and trying to do like decent paranormal investigations and having these experiences are these ghosts or are we looking into another moment in time in the same place? Maybe, I don't know. A lot of minds are opening up. So, I mean, when I was growing up, I grew up in one of this, like this super haunted house, but we weren't allowed to talk about it because that was taboo that only the devil would haunt a house. But, you know, now 30 years later, it's, accepted that a ghost could be in a house or haunted a house could be haunted whereas I, it wasn't 30 years ago that that's a good point i think i think it's it's an awakening and it's also a reclaiming because you can talk to most children and children make excellent little scryers you know that's why you have to have a boy if you're doing stuff out of the pgm no, yeah, <laughs> you have yeah. your boy look in the water and the boy tells you sorry i'm just joking because, leave, leave the boy out of your magical practice because as, <laughs> Be your as, own boy. as we age we close all of our stuffs off from this this stuff we close ourselves even off from accessing our own imagination we close ourselves off from just doing the simple things like expressing ourselves through art yeah, I agree with you, Dave. And I wonder too, to what extent it might also just be like, if we look look back and maybe like a broader sense too, like, is this just sort of like a recalibration after the, you know, hardcore materialism of the enlightenment, right? Are we just, is that pendulum just kind of swinging back to a more magical way of thinking after going really far in the other direction or something too? Because for a while as a species, like we're, we're super into it. And I mean, a lot of us are in, in a lot of places and everything. It's just that the way that it's contextualized within our culture um, is very interesting. And uh, yeah, absolutely. We gave up the age of magic for the age of reason. But now we're realizing now that we, we've hit the age of reason, we have to go back and balance it out with a new age of magic, I think. And if you dig into the journals of a lot of those that were there at the beginning of the age of reason... They were alchemists. They were magical mm. practitioners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boom. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that ushered in this new age where the earth was spinning in an infinite void and <laughs> <laughs> reining it back in just a little bit. Um, this has been a wild year in a lot of strange ways. And uh, since this is, you know, kind of spooky season and we're, we're doing uh well, we start out with ghost stories, then we went into uh, theoret- uh, theoretical paranormal physics and magic, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would love to get deeper into that topic sometime with you all. We should, but yeah, we should arrange a, a two-parter on that one for sure. Um, you think we can cover it in two parts? <laughs> I, uh, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, if they're both four hours long, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was—I I wanted to ask y'all what what are your favorite, weirdest, spookiest, b- most bizarre things for twenty twenty three? 
the the events, whether they happen to you personally or or you know out there in the world. 2023 has been a really, really weird year, and as we're approaching the end of it, it's not gotten any less weird. So I'm wondering what y'all's favorite moments of high strangeness throughout the course of 2023 are. The congressional hearing, but then also followed by the Mexican hearing. I, I am so, I haven't listened to that one yet, but I'm just, there's something about it that intrigues me so much. I I feel like I'm being lied to in one way, but then I believe it in another. So I'm kind of like, there's something, there's, you know, there's truth in one, some aspect of this. What is the actual truth? Yeah, there's definitely a game afoot. Yes. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. I was going to kind of go on that vein as well. And I've similarly been definitely obsessed with it. And I think it's, it's definitely really interesting. I would agree a game is afoot. Um, it's been fascinating. I've been going back and listening to like old episodes from the Art Bell archive and like, mm. you know, listening to what people, some some of the same people actually were saying about this topic, like back in the late 90s and everything and hearing how similar what's being said back then is to what's being said now and sort of like asking, well, like, what is actually being put forth here that's new? A, and B, there's kind of a little bit of an interesting assumption that's built into the whole exercise, which is that the government gets to decide what's fucking true and what's not, which is also an interesting kind of thing to like consider about the whole uh, sh- dog and pony show or whatever we want to call it. So, yeah, I don't know. Dog and pony show aside, um, something's happening. Yeah. Oh sure, and so, uh, something has been. I don't. Yeah, ever, absolutely. There's there's definitely unexplained phenomena. I'm an occultist. I fuck around with weird shit. I've seen all kinds of fucking weird shit. Like I've, I definitely work from that assumption. Yeah. But the messages that we're getting about it now, I'm asking myself, well, why are we still saying the same thing and pretending it's new? A and like what is going on that this might be distracting us from is something that I wonder a lot. But I don't yeah. know. I, I honestly, I think it's 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 the second wave of pretty much the exact same people who fought for this, like back in the nineties, as you were saying. They're finally gaining traction. Like before, they could only gain traction within the scientific community and a few oddball billionaires with personal interest, <laughs> Bigelow. Um, but now you've actually gotten to a point where you have military witnesses and and. Now we have people within position of government who do have a legitimate interest in figuring out what in the hell is going on. And I think that's what the game changer is. It's still, we're, yeah, we're, we're in the middle of a absolute disinformation war. So there's just so many aspects of it that are fascinating. Yeah. I I love, I love trying to tease these pieces apart and kind of like think about um, all these different facets of this uh, very interesting gem that we have to study. I would agree that yeah, that's that's probably the big whopper of of twenty twenty three. But um, uh, for for me, is almost like an addendum to that. I would I would argue that some of the most frightening and also absolutely fascinating things that we've uh, we've picked up up on twenty twenty three would be the advancements of what we can understand of the universe. Um, our advancements in understanding quantum mechanics and like we're starting to learn how to break our reality down into numbers 
Yeah. Also, at the same time, we're seeing a boom in paranormal interest. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's a coincidence. <laughs> we're yeah. seeing rise in interest in fungi as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely finding yeah. for it. Okay. So here's kind of a spooky, or maybe not. Maybe it's cool. I'm not sure. Um, the USDA in June uh, of 2023 has allowed for lab-grown meat to be sold to U.S. consumers. So that's a new thing. Yay. Yay. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Mm, yeah i mean i don't know it it could be cool like i I like the idea of not having to kill animals but i'm not really that clear about the process involved here i haven't like gotten into the science behind it yet but it seems fascinating i'm i'm 100 okay with uh you know the beyond meat like that they're doing fine just let them keep doing what they're doing lab grown meat this is we're we're heading into some really creepy territory there. Well, I'm wondering if it's actually meat or if it's just being marketed as meat because it has a meat like t- texture and it's like some kind of like a fungus product or something. I I need to get deeper into it. But you know what I was thinking, like the whole like, soylent green thing. Yes, that's <laughs> exactly know, what it is. Yeah, meat yeah. Meat. <laughs> like, uh, you know. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Immediately, as soon as you brought this up, that's where I was going. But I didn't want to sell out and go for that. So thank you for breaking that mold. Yeah. We'll, 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 <laughs> Anytime, I'll go for that low hanging. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll throw we'll throw the nerd down, and I love it. You know, according to the FDA rulings, the it's meat, people. It doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't differ from like stuff like regular chicken or regular beef on a cellular level. Okay. Okay. So then it is meat then in that way. I don't know how they develop. I mean, I don't know if they're using like what stem cells or something like that. Maybe to to recreate it. I'm not sure how they're doing it, but I know all I found was that the FDA ruled that you know because it's no different than this other meat on a cellular level. I don't know. There's there's something odd about it. There's between that and honestly ai is really starting to freak me out at the moment as well and i i it wasn't freaking me out until just recently but it's it's starting to get a little weirder yeah when yeah. i was on tiktok and i saw that there was an ai that was developed that would beat the mario world game without even knowing what a fucking video game was <laughs> was able to do it in like two weeks from yeah start- machine learning is pretty impressive Yay! For not okay, even so I, told what its parameters were, it just yeah. like, here you go. And like for like the first week or so, it didn't even know to walk to the right. <laughs> <laughs> then it eventually figured that out, and then it was it was gone. It was going. That was wild stuff. Interesting. Okay, so here we go. Cultivated meat. This is from Associated Press. Cultivated meat is grown in steel tanks using cells that come from a living animal a fertilized egg, or a special bank of stored cells. Um, In this company's case, it comes out in large sheets that are then formed into shapes like chicken cutlets and sausages. Good Meat, which already sells cultivated meat in Singapore, the first country to allow it, turns masses of chicken cells into cutlets, nuggets, and shredded meat and satays. Um, don't look for this novel meat in u.s grocery stores anytime soon cultivated chicken is much more expensive than meat from whole farm birds and cannot yet be produced on the scale of traditional meat 
Um, but yeah, they're like working on it. I mean, I, I think the idea of not having to like uh, kill a bunch of animals is kind of rad, but yeah. It sounds to me like they're taking out the step where they feed a bunch of chickens into like the pureeer before they stamp them into the dinosaur shapes and they go, you know what? Let's just make the puree without all the chickens. Yes. Yeah. But then you get the end product of the little dinosaurs. Of the dinosaurs, which is very important. Thank you, Dave. On how political, uh, how those are the kinds I buy. So how political, how in depth you want to get in it, but cells are living things. Yeah. So yeah. how far are we going to take this battle? Because <laughs> you know. only question, Dave, that makes me think of is: Can we get Dino nuggets that taste like dinos? Ooh. Well, I mean, dinosaurs would be related to birds, so maybe they do taste like them already. <laughs> oh, it's it's a type of raptor. Uh, it's not the velociraptor. It's one of the types of raptors that they think was what became birds. Yeah, there's a couple different lineages and um, of dinosaurs, and the one that they think survive into i'm trying to remember what it's called but yes and they know all this from like time travel and things <laughs> i'm not sure how science works I heard... they're just going off of the evolutionary possibilities of the design of dinosaur bones and... i like the time machine idea better yeah My i spouse. actually just been watching a bunch of uh paleontology documentaries recently and uh one of them is the brain cavity of a allosaurus is very similar to that of a uh oh i'm trying to remember what kind of bird it was now they took they showed it but like some kind of vulture or something like that some bird of prey but doing a cat scan of the area of the brain or of the skull where the brain would be the brain cavity are very very similar and so that's why they think uh one of the reasons they think dinosaurs evolved in the birds yeah there's a lot of different reasons too there's stuff about feathers and eggs and all kinds of shit yeah it's it's really interesting so my spouse has this book it's like this book that's made for kids by this guy named ken ham who's like a anti-evolution christian uh person who makes a lot of money off of these ideas um and it there's it's like there's so many it's a really really we keep it around for its novelty purpose but like there's all kinds of hilarious things and they're like and it's all illustrated with these little cartoons and one of them is people hiding dinosaur bones and stuff to try to make christians doubt in the bible <laughs> <laughs> oh god no no that's like a uh did you did you see the one like somebody I don't know if y'all caught on to this, but apparently the rapture was supposed to happen on the 23rd of September. Yeah. Yes, mm. yes, yes. Right. Oh, yeah. So, uh, that was I, just the other day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, somebody wrote a post. It was like, it's my favorite time of the decade. Someone's claiming the rapture is coming. So it's my turn to go out into the public and leave <laughs> random sets of clothes and shoes out in the world <laughs> and just to uh, throw people off. <laughs> like, oh That's God. very fun. <laughs> I love that. That's that's well, you know, there was the last time the rapture was coming, they people were selling uh Oh, the Herald I'd, camping campaign. Yeah. They were doing like the dog sitting the pet sitting for after the rapture. They were selling 
like insurance to the people that once the rapture happened that they knew they weren't going to be going to heaven so they would go and take care of these people's animals after they were you know sucked up into heaven oh yeah they and made millions they made tons of money doing this i think that i think they run bitcoin now <laughs> <laughs> they're they're great at those big scams like that um they did another one too uh i can't remember what it was but those same people they did a big a big insurance scam like that as well well, if the rapture did happen, I'm glad to see we all made it through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. So going back to the uh, the chicken cell thing, right? I wanted to reel that back in for a second. All right. All right. My concern is 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 less about the fact that it's happening and more of no matter how you want to cut it, it's still processed food and they're using techniques that we might not see the effects for for quite a while. Yes. Just yeah. like all the processed food that we've been eating for decades come to find out is probably contributing to a lot of our really, really hardcore health problems like cancers and things like that. I I would no. say I that's my thing. <laughs> is my my argument would be to like really um really put it to the test and make sure it is one hundred percent sustainable, one hundred percent safe. And it might take like a decade or so to really, really get that data to make sure that you know, you're, there could be something off that could affect us that we just are unaware of yet. Oh, yeah. But I mean, you could make that case for like a lot of the different things that we eat in terms of like, yeah, there's been, there's, you're right, there's been a lot of stories in the past, like things like partially hydrogenated oils, which we found out like the body just can't really process very well. And it yeah. made a lot of people sick. I don't think they use them anymore, but it's very popular for a while. And just, yeah, things like that, like all these like, fucking science experiments that we have in our food and uh, yeah it's a uh, and you know it's it's on one hand it's like well there's a lot of people in the world and people need to fucking eat or they'll starve and shit so there, there's a reason that this stuff is happening but like on the other hand it's like okay well it definitely raises some questions and shit for sure and yeah, yeah. it's just like i i love weird science i just don't like eating it you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that uh yeah, there's, there's a lot of questions there for sure. I'm I'm kind of like a health food nut. Like I don't really eat a lot of like fast food and shit like that. And so yeah, I'm I'm probably like right there with you. I don't I don't think I'm gonna be rushing out to buy these uh fake chicken nuggets or whatever, but maybe like I don't know. I who knows what in the future, like it's possible that you might not even know, or maybe that's all there will be. <laughs> like maybe there won't be any chickens anymore. Who knows, right? Like it's crazy. So what if we find out it really is? A Soylent Green scenario. They're just not killing anybody. They're just cloning humans instead. I wonder if it would be more delicious than chickens. I mean, you know. It'd have to be. <laughs> you gotta do a lot of shit to chicken to get it to taste good. Alright, well, so this is getting dark. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to the original <laughs> question about 2023 and paranormal things and hauntings and stuff. So one of the things that I did this summer was some public ritual at the Babylon Rising Panthelemic Festival. And part of this was part of an experiment that I've been conducting involving using like sound magic, audiomancy, and other things to create haunted items. Like I've created this special, you know, audio track, this music track that is specifically for investing items with the spirit of this like 
artistic project, this like muse or whatever you want to call it, like into these physical things, like through a little like ritual that I've designed. And so at this festival, I did a, a, a larger scale public version of this and invited people to, if they would like, come and put items onto the altar to be, you know, haunted with this spirit. And I've gotten a couple of fun stories back uh, so far. And one of the person, one of the people that helped me with the ritual is actually doing some cool like audio magic stuff now. And we might collaborate together and everything too. So there's been some interesting developments that have come out of that work. And um, so, yeah, kind of speaking of haunted, it's, I haven't had a lot of like, you know, I, I, my, my experiences with the paranormal aren't. I, I'm very jealous, like hearing about when people can you know, see all these ghosts and all this. Like, that's not apparently how my mind works. I'll hear a lot of things, but I don't see a lot of stuff. And so, um, yeah, I don't have a lot of like direct news on that tip that I really want to share. But there's definitely been some like very spooky synchronicities. And uh, yeah, we're feeling happy about how that experiment is going. So, yeah. Right on. Can't. I hope we can hear it sometime in the near future once you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that will be part of the album I'll be releasing uh, pretty soon. Here, it's going to be available on Friday, October thirteenth of twenty twenty three. And where all is it going to be available at? Um, I'm going to put it on Bandcamp. I'm probably going to make a supercut of it and put that on YouTube and SoundCloud too, so people can like have a variety of different ways to listen it's nice to be able to have just like one track rather than having it you know have those spaces between so um and yeah with with the just the supercut it will take any possibility of commercials i think out of the equation so yes right on well let's uh, be sure we get a link for that and everybody's show notes as well so that we can follow that and what was the date on the release uh the 13th and i will definitely hook you all up with that and uh, yeah you can find it on uh fan camp for lux estrada too Sweet. What else you got uh, coming down the pipeline right now? Well, so Green Mushroom Project and We the Hollowed um, Artists Collective have teamed up to put together Fuck Around and Find Out Part 2, the digital mixtape. So we've asked people from our communities to submit tracks involving working with the mushroom current or other types of esoteric work. And we've gotten some really, really cool tracks that, yeah, every, it's, it's just been so cool hearing what people have submitted. So that's going to be out on the Green Mushroom Project's third founding anniversary slash birthday, birthiversary on, <laughs> on October 31st of this year can't believe it's turning three wow i know yeah and that's going to be available on we're going to put it on the we the hallowed band camp which is much cooler and more built out than the ones that i have made and so thank you to keats ross and everybody over at we the hallowed for collaborating on this project with us awesome can't wait to hear it it's gonna be dope Amy, Dave, Chad, what do you, what do you guys have coming down the pipeline? We are hitting spooky season. You got anything um, coming up that we should uh, let everybody know to keep their eyes and ears and um, bat wings open for? Halloween night, October thirty first, we will do our annual live Halloween show. We usually do it through Facebook on our Facebook group, 
where we set up a table, we do divination, we do ghost box, we do all kinds of stuff. And and we're always costumed. And we're costumed. <laughs> and our costumes are working out this year, too. So. Very fun. Is, is it going to be a surprise what you're dressing up as? I guess, kind of, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, then I won't, yeah. I won't ask for spoilers, then. <laughs> all three of With you doing this together? Yeah, well, all three of us yeah. will be here together doing it. Yeah, last year we were part of the Scooby-Doo gang. Yes. It was fantastic. And it worked out great because our daughter had broken her leg and was in a wheelchair. And she was the mystery machine. And then Dave was Scooby and I was Velma. <laughs> I was Shaggy. You've never if you if you've never seen Scooby-Doo drawing spirits into crystals, it's worth a it's worth a watch. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite was still the first year, but yeah. Yeah. I came as Lucifer. Awesome. So how many years have y'all been doing this now? It'll be our fifth. Very cool. Oh, nice. Fourth. 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 Yeah, we didn't do it the first year, but yeah, it'll be our fourth year. Fourth year. All right. Well, we didn't yeah. know any better our first year. Yeah. Well, our first year, we'd only even been podcasting for three months. So <laughs> <laughs> makes yeah. sense. We were still figuring out how to make it sound better. <laughs> <laughs> There's a hell of a learning curve here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How about you, Flood? What do you got going on for spooky season? Uh, um, well, a few things I can talk about. Um, so uh, sometime this month, uh, we're actually going to be doing a commentary on the Mothman prophecies with screenwriter Rich Haddam, the guy who uh, adapted it from John Keel's book. So, so uh, me and hopefully Aaron Dietz from uh, Hey Strangeness and the Small Town Monsters crew are going to uh, sit down with him, talk about his writing process, how he adapted the, well, the, the essentially the unadaptable at the time, and, um, and how he chose what he could to put into a script that was only for a you know two-hour movie everybody who listens to my show knows that i love rich he's he's been on before he's an absolute riot this guy cracks me up one of the smartest people um that i've ever met and yeah it should be a good time so if uh, there are any fans of the movie out there uh be sure to send in questions if you have because we'll have a little uh listeners uh questioning segment at the end and once I have the date going, uh, Patreon subscribers will actually be able to join us live as we do this. Uh, but yeah, everybody else can catch it on the flip side when it comes out on Halloween. That'll that'll be my little Halloween gift to everybody. I have a question for him. Yep, send it in. Yeah, I'm I'm compiling it now. I just want to know when he's going to do Mothman Two: The Injured Cold Story. <laughs> <laughs> You know, actually, like he and I talked about that not too long ago, and I would love to see, like, with what we can do with streaming services these days, I would love to see somebody try to really adapt the entirety of the Mothman prophecies because that was batshit crazy. I just, oh, um, yeah. it's the whole rainbow of paranormal phenomena all in the span of what well, eighteen months, and it's just brilliant. Yeah, it's really cool. It's an interesting story. And it permeates, too, because every podcast, every show I've ever listened to that has anything to do with Mothman, they find their own synchronicities in this. They wind up going off on their own like adventures, and it's just wild. 
it happens. Like I, I went there and did an investigation myself and it was absolutely insane. Um, it was, it was subtle in some ways and slaps in the face and in others. Uh, so yeah, that talk play with Mothman. (laughs) That sounds like fun. (laughs) That's exactly what we ran into when we were doing it. It was, we were doing an injured cold episode and all of a sudden it was like left and right synchronicities were coming at us and things were happening we were all three having the same dreams and things. Yeah. yeah. Straight up, I will challenge, not challenge, I will state open invite to all of you. The next time I go up to Point Pleasant, if you want to be a part of this, I can guarantee you that that place is still active and anybody, but what's, what it is, it's, it's not just the space. Now, here's something that transcends time and space. This happened decades ago. And it still reverberates through consciousness. It catches like a wildfire. Once, like every few years, you get a new wave of new people who become obsessed with this because they know something's got, you know, they're connected to it in some way. My, uh, you know, our trip to Point Pleasant was wild. And I, but the thing is, I didn't know what in the hell I was doing back then. So I'd love to go back now knowing what I've learned in the last four years. And, really approach it in the right way. But yeah, open invite because um, maybe we make something happen. Well, yeah. definitely sounds yeah, like I'm fun. Down. All right, we'll add that to the list. Okay. Uh, but beyond that, I think the, uh, the only other real thing to announce is um, I think after we get done with everything on Halloween, we're going to hit the big end of the year series for us. And it's going to be focused on the Uinta Basin in Utah. And because I just don't want to ruffle feathers, let's just say it's very close to a famous ranch in northern Utah and what we experienced while we were out there, which was uh, um, four and a half days of some, some pretty strange things that are actually still reverberating. So we're going to be doing a deep dive. It might be like a four to six part series. Haven't figured that out yet, but it's going to have a whole lot of supplemental material and then at the end of this year is going to be the big uh, baseball bat knock out of the park where we deliver our ongoing hypothesis for all of the paranormal stuff that we've done. And we're going to take a kind of new direction for the next year. But it's going to get wild. It's going to get crazy. And I hope that all of you are going to be coming back for the um, uh, the holiday party at the end of the year that I do. Yeah, it sounds like fun. Sweet. So anybody else got anything worth noting that's uh, that's coming down the pipeline or anything that we want to touch on before we start to wrap up? Well, yeah, there is one other thing that I was hoping to mention, and this is something that actually, Dave, you were pretty instrumental in putting together, and this is the mycocultus working for the Green Mushroom Project. Um, there's going to be a special episode of my show in which Dave and I discuss all of what this thing is, but basically it's a... Well, actually, do you want do you want to... Go ahead and describe it, Dave. No, you can go ahead. Okay. Um, it's it's kind of a reskin and reworking of some classical occult tech, like the kinds of stuff that you might find in like a sort of classical mystery tradition um, scenario. Only it's been kind of reworked in a less um, gendery, more mushroom-oriented way. Um, and so we're really looking forward to putting this out here. It's been a, a really cool collaborative effort that 
you know, Dave like wrote this thing up and Shane Mindbender has been helping with editing uh, Laughing Dog with some of the graphic stuff. Oh, we've had a lot of beta readers. Thanks so much to everybody who's been contributing on that front. And um, yeah, so it's a it's a cool group effort that uh, we're, we're really looking forward to uh, putting out there. So we're thinking that this is going to be uh, probably around that same time, around the, the holiday-ish time towards the end of the year as 2023 uh closes up sweet so yes keep an ear out for that and an eye out as well we'll have that posted um all over the place and the the tech itself will be available on the website and other places as well uh, at greenmushroomproject.com is where you can find out more about the project and i guess for us we are rolling up on our 300th episode and it'll be right around the first of the year And we always do a cryptic battle. Every 100 episodes, we do a cryptid battle. We battle all the cryptids that we've talked about against each other. Past winners have been Mothman and the Were Cow. (laughs) And the Bozak Humanoid. And the Bozak Humanoid. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. That was the craziest uh, episode of battles I think we've ever gone through. That was a good one. So that will be coming up right after the first of the year sometime soon. So, All right. Fantastic. Well, all kinds of good shit to look forward to. Well, thank you all so much for including me. Uh, this has been really, really fun. Oh, this has yeah. been a blast. Yeah, yeah. And then thank you, everybody, for uh, for all the stories. I, I love finding out more about all of this spooky history and that, that I, I, you know, I was unaware of. Yeah, absolutely. We have to start researching for next year. Make sure we come up with something even better than the zucchini. <laughs> <laughs> See, all right, that that one's really gonna the, the final thought here. Like that one's really gonna stick out to me. I really want to look into how far similar legends go like that with with Native Americans. Like, I, is it strictly between those tribes that you mentioned, or do we find it outside of that? From my research, what I found is it was mainly in those tribes because. They were all forced into one common area, but I'm sure that the other tribes, I mean, just like happens in the world. I mean, I'm sure other tribes have some legend of an owl type creature that is an omen or um, anything like that. I mean, owls are, it depends. A lot of the Native American people I know are not big fans of owls, but then there are some that, you know, love owls so i mean it just kind of depends on the tribe and their stories but i'm sure that different tribes have different myths into about them and all that the thunderbird was another one that was very widespread amongst the tribes yes and some of them they paired it up with a a giant snake that would do like cosmic battle with each other there's a lot of fascinating uh, symbolism uh, with all of that. I would love to to look further into it for sure. I would say some of my favorite legends and lore oh, to cover are Native American legends. Oh, our, definitely. Yeah. Our new library here, they took that section that's like Native studies and they made it its own floor because we got probably the biggest one in the country of books on this subject. So the entire floor is just has to do with Native American lore and uh study 
Man, you guys just keep throwing it down. All right, all right. I'm I'm coming to visit. I'm coming to yeah, visit. Cool. Like, apparently, there's a lot of stuff going on out there, and there's some opportunity for me to get some cryptid action. So, yeah, we're gonna make that happen sometime this year. And you can never, never, you know, forget the Oklahoma octopus. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Thunderpuss. 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 Yeah, yeah. Thunder Thunderpuss is. Uh, that's probably one of my favorite bits so far. That's. Uh, <laughs> Thunderpuss power. <laughs> yeah, I still need to get that shirt. I had trouble finding it. Please send me the link. Okay, totally will. All right. Uh, well, I, I think. Well, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, I. Th- yes, absolutely. Fuck yeah. I. So this kind of wraps up. Uh, this has been the second annual uh, spookier side of the green mushroom part Ooh. two. Electric spookaloo. Electric spookaloo. <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Trademark, <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you all so much for joining. I love you to pieces, and we will talk to you all soon. Yeah, thank you all so much thank for you. all your awesome stories, and thanks so much to everybody listening. Have, hope you're having a great uh, day, evening, or whenever you hear this. Yes, you all are all amazing. Mwah, 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 mwah. <laughs>
for being a part of the journey so far. I'll see you in the between. In Alumbratio, in Fluctus, Subvelo.